Hey everyone, James Labrie from Dream Theater, and you're listening to or watching the podcast Talking Into Infinity with JT and Brian. You're dialed into Talking Into Infinity, a Dream Theater podcast. Be a part of the show live every other Thursday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on YouTube, Facebook, TalkingIntoInfinity.com, or the CMSNetwork.com. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Talking Into Infinity, a Dream Theater-centric podcast. I am your host, John. We are live on Facebook, YouTube, TalkingIntoInfinity.com, and the CMSNetwork.com. We are live at those four locations every other Thursday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you'd like to catch video replays of the show, just check out our YouTube channel or the YouTube channel of the CMS Network. And if you'd like to download audio versions of the show, just Google Talking Into Infinity Podcast. And our newest feature, if you would like to call in during the show and take part live, just go to tii.cmspn.com and we can bring you on screen and you can throw in your two cents live for the whole world to see or hear. Whichever you prefer, you don't have to turn your camera on. So, uh, going to be a good show tonight. Uh, Brian is not here. He's actually out in St. Louis doing some family stuff with his mom. So, hopefully, he's having a good time out there and everything's going well. But we do have a very special guest coming in to co-host with me tonight. Uh, we let him pick the topic. He has been on the show a few times before. He's a very good friend of the show, and you guys might know him as the uh, artistic genius. I think we can call him. Uh, who designed the last two stage setups for Dream Theater's tours for Distance Over Time and A View from the Top of the World. And he also did the music videos for A View from the Top of the World, as well as John Petrucci's phenomenal solo record, Terminal Velocity. You know him, you love him, our good buddy, Mr. Wayne Joyner. What is up, man? Good to see you. What's going on, dude? Thanks for having me. Anytime, man. Anytime. It's it's awesome because like when Brian and I have guests on, we like to try and bring them back. And be like, all right, you want to just do like an episode that's like, you know, something for fun for yourself. And yeah. so we thought about you. And then I was like, is there a record that you would deep dive? And immediately you were like, oh, dude, Cowboys from Hell. I was like, yes, Pantera. I haven't gotten to dig into a Pantera record yet. So I was really <laughs> stoked when you suggested that. So. Dude, and it's a hard one to pick because they're all good. You know, it's like Cowboys or Vulgar, which, but, you know, Cowboys is the first one. So, yeah, we, we might have to do it. Yeah, we might have to do a series of these with you and just deep dive the entire catalog and just have you on Let's to do, do all <laughs> do all five of them. So uh so what 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 is your history with Pantera? Cuz I know I know you're a guitar player, so obviously there's right. got to be a dime bag connection, but um like how did you first discover the band and like how did you, you know, become a fan of of the of the of the of Pantera? So I guess I would say uh I was a freshman in high school um uh, like 4 years ago. <laughs> so like <laughs> nice. Back in the 90s. Um uh, Cemetery Gates is the song that got me into metal. You know, I, a friend of mine had the cassette tape for, for Cowboys. And, uh, I mean, I've, I heard some Anthrax and Megadeth and stuff before that. But I mean, being a freshman in high school, I'm like, you know, what is this shit? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, but, you know, and I heard Cemetery Gates and I'm like, dude, this, this is legit. This is real stuff. So, uh, you know, that's, that was my gateway metal song. So after that, you know, I just kind of, the album just kind of, stuck with me and you know picking up guitar and learning guitar in the 90s and 
you know, it just was the the holy grail of guitar music at the right. time. When, along with that, you know, Rust in Peace and Images and Words and stuff like that. But, you know, Dimebag just had this gnarly sound that, you know, yeah. made me want to pick up a guitar. So it, he's that one guy that's like, was never shy about the fact that he played solid state stuff instead of the, right, the right. you know, the t- tube things. And it was like, man, like that stuff is so like, and I'm not a gearhead by any means, but I, I at least know the difference between the two. And I was right. like, man, like everybody else is like, ah, oh, fuck solid state. It sounds so tinny. And you know, you need that warmth in the body of tubes. He's like, nope, nope, not no. at all. It sounded good too, man. You know, I think, I think the solid state thing for him really uh, helped with a lot of the squeals. And yes. he's, I mean, you just have this like cold ice pick sound when you do that on solid state. So I think that was kind of a secret weapon for him a little bit. Yeah. So did did you get to see the band live at that time or? Uh, no, I've never seen Pantera live. It was a little bit before my time. You know, um, uh, I did have an opportunity to see Damage Plan, I guess, when when they first were doing their thing and they were only playing mm-hmm. 10, 15, 20 people. And, uh, you know, I had an opportunity to go see those guys. But those, you know, maybe like 20 years ago. And uh, this was in November of, I think, 2004. Yeah. And I was just like super lazy. I'm like, you know, I don't feel like going out tonight. I don't feel like waiting in line and going to a show. And they came and played here at the Masquerade in Atlanta, a really small club. And, you know, a month later, we got the news done, bag, shot. So I'm like, oh, man. And ever since then, I'm like, man, I'm so kicking myself. You know, I never, I will never have the opportunity again. Yeah. It's it's kind of cool. Like you know, I I saw them several times back in the day. I, I, my first shows were on the uh, Trendkill tour. Okay. And um, my stepson, he he loves everything. Like his two favorite bands are the Beatles and Slipknot. So you know, he likes everything <laughs> in between. Yeah. So, but he was a huge Pantera guy, and he you know he's he's twenty one, be twenty two next month. So you know he he basically, you know, was a couple years old when when Dime was killed. So he obviously never had a chance to see him. And it's the one, like, I always take him to stuff that he would enjoy or if he, like, really likes a band and none of his friends are into it, like, I, I go with him. And, you know, I've always told him the one band that I'm so sad that I could never take you to see was Pantera. Right. So it's, you know, it's it's not, obviously not going to be the same with Charlie and Zach, but at least, you know, to to hear Phil and Rex and just the power of those songs in a live environment is just staggering man like they're just so huge yeah i mean you still got phil singing so that still does it for me you know yeah phil is probably one of the top three greatest metal singers of all time mm-hmm. so i mean as, as much as Dimebag was you know like the the driving force behind the band really phil's voice made it for me you know some of those like during on, on cowboys from hell where he's like going up into another octave and yeah. like, Dude, that's badass yeah, he it's it. His vocals on that record are so un. I think they're unappreciated because everyone's so used to what he turned into, right? And, and also, people, I, I I think it is kind of like one of those things where it's because it's stuck between their their like glam era and mm-hmm. and what he became. I think people still kind of associate it more with the glam stuff and you know, oh he's trying to do the Rob Halford or whatever, and they kind of discredit it without kind of stopping to think like. He put down some kick-ass vocals on this on on this Cowboys from Hell record, man. That's the only record that he does that on too. Like mm-hmm. the screams like like the end of Cow uh, Cemetery Gates. Like, yep. 
that's that's what really like kind of makes the record for me too is Phil's voice. You know, he's yeah. on all of them, but Cowboys especially, he's he's showing out. So yeah, I totally agree, man. Yeah, um, yeah. For for me, I. I I wasn't into Pantera at first because it was a lot heavier than what I was listening to, but it was 92 when Vulgar had come out, and I was kind of jamming with a guy. He was a guitar player. I was playing drums, and we were, he uh, he didn't have a car, and I did, so he's like, hey, i got to go to the mall. i got to buy this new record that came out. So go to the mall, and he buys Vulgar. He's like, I'm like, who is this? And I looked at the cover. I was like, wow, this dude's getting punched in the face. All right, I know what kind of music this is. Um He's like, oh, you got to hear this crap. Turn it up. So we, you know, my my shitty little Ford Escort, man, popped a cassette in and turned and it turned up, and I was like, what in the, you know? Right. And at that at that point, I wasn't used to like the screamer stuff, really. I mean, I was I was a Slayer fan, but I was like, and it it didn't really grab me until a few years later. I was like, okay, this is cool, this is cool. And the more I started digging into playing guitar and you know drums and like kind of getting into being an actual musician, I think is when it really started to hit me. It was like how heavy it was but how different it was and so i really got hooked i really got hooked on, on him and it was like you know i i had to go back and find cowboys because i listened to vulgar obviously the most as a lot of people have and then you know i checked out um uh, uh far beyond driven and then obviously really got into them around 96 because my girlfriend at the time was huge into pantera right uh so Oh, <laughs> all right. I, I do got to tell you this one. Okay. So Chris Aiken, hope your arm's feeling okay, buddy. Uh, so he's Chris Aiken says, you have to tell you're getting fired for pizza, getting fired from pizza job for Pantera story. Okay. So I'll, I'll, I'll make this quick Wayne. but this is like, I actually got fired because of Pantera. Oh. So I was, um, I was delivering pizza as a side job and it was, uh, uh, for, the year that uh, 101 Proof came out, I think, was the the release they were doing. Um, or was it Reinventing the Steel? Aiken, tell me if it was Reinventing the Steel, that 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 uh, that thing at the Exchange, or if it was 101 Proof. But in either case, so my buddy Aiken, he was doing a radio program here in Cleveland called The Metal Show, and it was Sunday nights, and it was like you know the highest rated program we had. And he, you know, he ran a music magazine called Music's Bottom Line, and he got in touch. Uh, he was actually he was actually really friendly with the Pantera guys. So he hooked up an in-store uh, with Pantera uh, when they were in town. And so there's actually going to be footage of this if the Pantera Home Video Part 4 comes out. Like he, He's had to sign releases and shit like that to actually have footage of this thing. Because there was like, they were expecting a couple hundred people. There had to be like 2,000. I mean, it was damn near a riot because the band was late. All right, he said, okay, he said it's for 101 proof. Okay, so the band was late. So everyone's just going completely, completely bonkers. And um, everyone's getting drunk and smoking weed. And, you know, they got a PA out there. And Chris is trying to calm people down but still keep it rocking. Well, he hits me up. I was I was delivering pizza one city over that night. And he was like, hey, man, are you working? I was like, yeah, what's up? He's like, dude, I got Pantera here. They just rolled in. They're really late and they're hungry. Can you bring them pizza? And I was like, fuck, yeah, I can bring Pantera pizza. So, like, I went, you know, I mean, I made up, like, I don't know, like three cheese or and three peppers. I remember it was six pizzas. So I go rolling over to the exchange and I, you know, walk up there with the pizza and, and Aiken's like, oh, thanks, man, whatever. He's like, you want to meet Pantera? I was like, what? And they hadn't opened the doors yet. So he's like, go for it, man. And he handed me a copy of his magazine. And I walked in and I was the third person in line. And it was just the first table was Vinny and then Dime. And, and Dime was just the coolest. It's the only time I got to meet him. But he was as cool as everybody says. 
Dude, that's uh, the best story ever, man. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was amazing. And then like Rex and Phil were kind of standoffish as, as you know, their reputation kind of says there. Yeah. So I get, I get my, I still have the magazine. It says, uh, the, I got the whole band to sign it and dime bags as Daryl says, hi, but he spelled it H I G H. Like, <laughs> so they were just the coolest, coolest people. And I'll never forget going up there and talking to dime. Like I was, I'd never really met a rock star before. So my hand was literally shaking like this when I was handing, handing him the marker in the magazine. So anyway, fast forward, uh, a couple days later, and I, I was I, I worked like a, I, my shift was generally like Monday, Wednesday, I want to say, and then Saturday morning. And so I go to work and I check the schedule for the next week and all my shifts are erased. And I was like, well, that's kind of weird. So I went to the manager and I was like, yeah, I think I think someone's messing with the schedule. Like my shifts are erased. He goes, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We forgot to call you. Like, yeah, we, we don't need you next week. And I was like, okay is everything so actually yeah, we're, we don't need you anymore actually we, you're you're fired and i went <laughs> fired what the hell for and he goes stealing pizza i'm like when did i steal pizza he's like your last shift you took like six pies and i went oh wait a minute man like because people took pizza all the time but there was this there was this one chick that was trying to work her way up to management and she was doing it by stepping on people and like tattling so apparently she was working that night told everybody that I took six pizzas <laughs> so oh. so delivering pizza to Pantera got my ass canned from my side job <laughs> so that is like the best story i've ever had <laughs> i know totally and that's what i said too it's like well if i'm going to lose my if i'm going to lose my gig at least do it with a cool story like that so right. um so, all right, man. Well, why don't we why don't we dig into Cowboys here? Um, we uh, Brian and I we do these track by track and kind of give our thoughts, you know, on everything. And um, one thing I wanted to bring up first, and it's kind of a Pantera general note before we kind of get into this here. When I was listening back to the record, I realized something about this is really something about their entire discography. Have you noticed that all of the Pantera records really like? The, the side two is the weird side and side one has all of the hits and the, the popular more accessible stuff like i i didn't realize that till i was listening back to this i was like okay we got cowboys from hell we got you know uh you know we got primal concrete sledge and cemetery gates and domination and the second half gets kind of weird i went wait a minute vulgar's got all the hits on the front side then i thought about far be like have you did have you noticed that i i guess i've never noticed it before but now since you said it i, I can't unsee it so. yeah <laughs> it's but, it's I feel, I feel like they like write a bunch of tunes and they're like all right the, the, these are the more accessible ones here's the ones we're fucking around let's make sure we put the easier shit on the first side <laughs> like I, I love all the songs from cowboys so i mean if it's if that's what they did i mean it's there's no filler it's all awesome yeah no i i would totally agree with that man um one of the things that hit me right off the bat is you know and and I noticed this when I first heard Pantera. Period. But you know, I, I think it's something that kind of shows up here. And if, if you kind of look at it through the lens of you know, it's nineteen ninety, and you know, this is their first record, and you're you're in that right at the tail end of that classic era of thrash. You know, like you like you mentioned, Rust in Peace that that came out in nineteen ninety, and you know, Testament had a record, and you know, um, and Justice for All. You know, yeah. Metallica was yeah, yep. Like, we need to put that on the year nineteen ninety. How's that come out? <laughs> <laughs> dude that, there's I, I, we did it one time we were trying to think of all of the incredible like it's like like empire you know like uh rust in peace i want to say test testament was uh practice what you preach 
Yeah, I think so. Or the, was it the ritual or one of those? Yeah, it's one of those two. And obviously Cowboys. I mean, but yeah. That, that was oh. a good. All right. So Aiken says the sequencing was all Vinny and Terry date. All right. Well, maybe they did it on purpose. Yeah. So, but yeah, the, what I, where I was going was, you know, they're, they're really musical for a heavy band. Definitely. I mean, it's Rex is a very underrated bass player. I mean, he never gets mentioned, but if you actually watch some live stuff or really pay attention to the bass lines, he does a lot of walking, very musical type things in there. Um, you know, and and it's it's pretty intelligent for metal. It there's a lot of changes in it and stuff like that, and it's it just as brutal as it is and as groove oriented as it is, it's just more musical, isn't it? It is, it is. And it's very bluesy. A lot of the guitar riffs and solos are very bluesy and a lot of soul in there. And I guess, I mean, it's like one of the first, like, metal bands to put soul into their music like that. You know, Slayer's, you know, thrashing around. But this, this man, I mean, Don Back is showing out with some, like, bluesy solos that you never really heard that before from a guitar player, you know, in the metal scene. Yep, that's that's one of my notes. Is like the feel that Dimebag plays with, and it's. Right. I I agree with you a hundred percent. I mean, it's. I mean, we were talking about Cemetery Gates before we jumped on, and mm-hmm. you know, and you just mentioned it as your gateway song, but you know, you you weren't hearing stuff like that. Like it was just you know angry, and you know it's got to be preci- you know Megadeth was like all about precision and all this kind of stuff, and um, but Dimebag really kind of infused. Like you said it perfectly, like a bluesy kind of feel. It was, it was this like Van Halen meets Metallica, you know, meets something heavier. Right. You know, it was, it was a, well, Van Halen meets Metallica with a southern tinge to it. You know, let, let's say it how it is. You know, Cowboys from Hell. It's got that kind of. You know, <laughs> I mean, well, starting right there. I mean, with this with the opening track, Cowboys from Hell. I mean, you could tell there's a different groove going on right from the beginning. I mean, it's 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 got a swing to it, and it's you know in the middle they put that dance beat like it, mm-hmm. you know, like I mean it's it's very different when you when you put on a metal record like you know we mentioned the records around at that time, but like you, it's it's not you know practice what you preach, it's not hanger or uh, holy wars, excuse me, you know a couple years earlier with with Meta- it's not blackened, I mean, right? It real, it's very different. Yeah, and and with that being like their their lead off track. You know, like the first time you hear Cowboys and that kicks in, you're you're like, man, I'm about to get my ass kicked here. <laughs> yeah. And and to me, like I don't know how you where you stand this, but I think Cowboys is is might be one of the least heavy songs on the record. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, I actually I think the second half of the record is heavier than the first half. You know, with with songs like uh, Message and Blood and Medicine yep. Man, some of those groovy riffs are, are pretty brutal. Yeah. Well, Art of Shredding is just like, you know, Vinnie Paul's just like look, took a bag of Coke and dug his face into it and then started playing, you know? Yeah, dude, and I have to say, he's like such an underrated drummer. I know he's he Pantera, Pantera's drummer, but he really doesn't get mentioned enough in being such a badass drummer like he is, you know? It, but he, he really brings it too. Yeah. I want... One of my notes is that, like, I think to your point is the way that he uses double bass because right. he's not like one of those drummers that's just like, you know, it's not just like, like you know, using Slayer as an example. I mean, he, he kind of like 
holds back and he only uses it when it's necessary and he uses right. it in a really tasteful way it's it's almost like those guitar players where they kind of like you'll see him like using like these you know their main three fingers but the pinkies the secret weapon when they mm-hmm. really need to get like a reach and all it's it's kind of like that in a way and so i i completely agree with you on that it's and it's the precision too right it's absolutely the precision that he plays with is just unmatched yeah he and, just has such a cool vibe yeah our friend Daniel Navarez Arojo, hopefully I'm not messing that up again, buddy. I do that every show. Um, <laughs> he says, the thing about Pantera for me is the respect for all the instruments. They produce their albums to showcase everyone. The bottom end on both the drums and bass sound is unrivaled, especially considering the era. Absolutely. Where, where, where do you stand on that, uh, uh, Wayne? Because I know that one of the complaints that has been levied against Pantera actually is kind of how Rex's bass gets a little buried because of the you know the heaviness of of Vinnie Paul's kicks and then the the tone of Dime's guitar, right, right. Uh, you know, I guess I really haven't noticed that. I might need to go back and listen <laughs> to. That. Uh, no, I always thought the bottom end sounded fantastic. Like the pr- the production of their bottom end and rhythm section always sounded great to me. So I mean, I guess most people when they when they go out and they listen to Pantera, they're just listening to like Dimebag and what Dimebag's doing. But I, mean, I really think the Rhythm section of Pantera is probably one of the best in a metal yeah. band. I, to to me, I think it is the best. But and I and I might be biased because it is kind of Van Halen ish. Um, it is. It's it, it's it's always amazed me how they they were like you know they they always said that before they went on stage, Dime and Vinny, the last thing they would say to each other is Van Halen and like fist bump, you know, because they wanted to be like a heavy metal Van Halen. That was like their their roadmap, and um, I, I mean they definitely achieved it, but you know, just a lot heavier and. Uh, you know, and it goes it goes back to what we we're talking about them being very musical, and uh, you know, back, back to Vinnie Paul's drumming. I mean, I I, I think he in, injects a certain feel to it. Like he, it, it's definitely pretty much straight power. Like you don't get a lot of the ups and downs in his playing like you do with Dimebag, but he really, when you really listen to what he's doing. There are some times when Dime gets a little simpler, but it sounds busy because Vinny's doing some crazy drum thing. You're like, oh, what the hell is that? Like, right. So you think the guitar is going, but it's not. Dime's just doing it, and the drums are doing all the nutty shit, which is, I love when bands do that. Yeah. And, you know, I guess like they have like that brother thing going on there. So they're totally some kind of telepathic <laughs> between those two. <laughs> right. So, yeah. So one of the things that I have is that, you know, with the song Cowboys from Hell, I I think Dime sets a standard right off the bat that he's mm. got this incredible ability to make a riff really heavy without it having to be like chunking on chords the whole time. I mean, right. especially for a single guitar, he you know, I mean, it's just a, 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 a you know, it's a single note type of run, whatever, and it's fat, dude. And he that was that that was like his calling card. So I I love how he does that stuff, man. Where do you stand on that? Uh, no, I like, I agree, man. And that, that intro riff into Cowboys from hell is total goosebumps yeah. and it's not even that difficult, but it's just that there's a certain magic between him and Vinny. Then it just kicks in with that song and they carry through the whole entire record. Yep. Yeah. It's, it, it's, th- this whole song is just a statement, you know, I mean, even, even down to the lyrics, like we're the Cowboys from hell and it's like, yeah, that's, it's kind of. They're they're announcing their intent right off the rip, and it's it 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 seems obvious to say that, but when you kind of picture where their career went and everything that they were doing, you know, they really, you know, it really was, it really was. Yeah. Uh, 
so we, we've got somebody jumping in here. Uh, this is Chris. Uh, Aiken, I'm assuming this is you, huh? That's me, yeah. What's up? <laughs> What's up, man? Wayne, this is my good friend Chris Aiken. He runs the network, so he makes the rules around here. Kind of. <laughs> I don't make any <laughs> rules. What's up, Wayne? How hey, are you? <clears throat> no, I just wanted to say in regards to Cowboys as an album, I think the the interesting thing to it is of all the bands that have ever gotten big or notoriety of any kind, really, I think Pantera's and especially Cowboys, they're the first ones and probably the only ones you can point to that did not have their sound defined by their first record. If you listen to that record and then you listen to everything else, their sound was clearly defined by Vulgar. And it stayed that way. It kept getting heavier and heavier, but it stayed heavy. This record goes so in and out of them, you know, that, you know, there's parts of it that sound that that go back an album before that are kind of power metal-y. I mean, it's still heavy, but it's it's still power metal-y. And even if you look back at the time before Cowboys, they were doing Art of Shred. I saw them in a in a club in in um, San Francisco play the Art of Shred before uh, at least a year before Cowboys. So they were still trying to find it even though they knew they had something, which I think is weird for a band that became so big that they that they were still experimenting with their sound on their debut release. Don't you agree? Yeah, I mean, I mean Wayne, where do you stand in that? Because I, I, I would say Aiken that that the whole thing, and this is Wayne. I mean, you could probably speak to this as well, being a musician yourself. Like, I, I think that that whole shift, you know, away from the glam stuff. Obviously, when Phil came in, we all know that he wanted to get heavier, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think when they were touring that stuff and playing the clubs with the Cowboys stuff, I think they started to see that like their stage presence kind of lent itself more to the heavier end of things and also you know the crowds were going a little more ape shit for the heavy stuff too so i think it was like a natural evolution based on the on the response they were getting to to certain parts of the material right right yeah i I I think cowboys is like the building blocks for for the next few albums um i I think probably vulgar is probably their heaviest album either that one or uh trend kill trend trend kill um, but I think, I think, uh, Cowboys is, is just, it's their images and words, you know, it's, it's what, I mean, it's the beginning. So, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, that's a, that's a good point though, Aiken. I mean, there's, there's not a lot of bands that you can say, I mean, I, off the top of my head, I, I, I might go with Megadeth in a way because that first record killing is my business has never really sounded like that. I mean, right. I would use that as an example, but I can't really think of anything else. Yeah. I mean, but, but even that you still knew what Megadeth was going to be. If you listen to the mechanics and stuff like that from that record, I mean, it was there what they, what they were going to be. They, they got better because they, and, and again, Megadeth's a little hard to determine too, because let's face it, the players on the first record are not the players on the good records. So there's, <laughs> you know, it's almost a different band. So that, that's a, that's a harder call. I don't know. I, I just Pantera for me. And, and it's weird with Cowboys. Cowboys is other than reinventing the steel 
Cowboys would be next and the least favorite for me. But, um, you know, that being said, it's still a killer record. It's still great. And, you know, and, and you know, John, and you don't, you don't know this, Wayne, but, I mean, I had a great relationship with those guys. Still do. Philip is still a friend. You know, and, um, you know, haven't had many an experience with those guys. This is the other point I just want to make real quick. If ever there was a band that if they would have come out now, they would have been the dominant kings of social media because they were social media before there was social media. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the, the Pantera home videos alone. I mean, yeah. they, they, that shit, I mean, Dime, Dime would have been doing that stuff live. He would have yeah. just he would have had like he would have been blowing up TikTok and YouTube shorts and all this stuff just like going live on Facebook just doing the dumbest crap like he would have, he would have had to have like 800 accounts because he would have gotten in in Facebook jail so many times <laughs> he would have like 400 million followers 